This is a News Laundry podcast and you're listening to NL Interviews. Hello and welcome to News Laundry Interviews. Today we have in our studio a man uh, some of you may be aware of if you are News Laundry readers because he writes a regular column for us called General Analysis. Uh, and those of you who are on Twitter may also be familiar because he was recently in the midst of a major Twitter battle, uh, the 12th or 15th. Not his most challenging, I'm sure. Uh, I'm talking about uh, retired Lieutenant General Harcharan Jeet Singh Panag. He is a PVSM, that's a uh, Param Vashisht Seva Medal, and the AVSM, which is the Ati Vashisht Seva Medal. You served the Indian Armed Forces for 40 years. Yes. For zero, right. So, first of all, not, welcome. Not, not counting the four years I spent under training. I see, at the IMA. Yeah, that is the NDA and IMA. NDA and IMA. That makes it total 44 years. 44 years. I if see. that was not enough, after that I was member of the Armed Forces Tribunal. Correct. At Chandigarh for four and a half years. What does the Armed Forces Tribunal do? Armed Forces Tribunal uh, was established uh, to give uh, uh, a judicial hearing to the aggrieved soldiers in respect of service matters and judicial matters. I, I mean, uh, earlier what used to happen that if a soldier was aggrieved after the, he had uh, exhausted his uh, redressal that he sought in the army, he had to approach the civil courts or go to the high court under art, uh, Article 226-227. For matters such as? For any matter against uh, a decision of a court-martial, against uh, a grievance, uh, grievances related to service matters, pensions, promotions. Okay. And so that was a legitimate channel, but it was time-consuming, and the average time he spent uh, to, for his case to, to reach uh, the decision stage was anything from seven to ten years. So in 2009, the government of India, uh, it was a long-pending demand to establish the Armed Forces Tribunal. So Armed Forces Tribunal was established with 15 benches, and out of that, three benches were at Chandigarh. And I was a member there. So did you have to study law for that? Did you have to actually... No, no, no. It is based upon uh, experience. At each bench comprised of one retired general from the Indian Army mm -hmm. and one retired judge from a high court. I see. And uh, it was, so it was a division bench and the decision had to be unanimous. In event of a split decision, then it had to go to a bigger panel to be set up by the chairman who is based in Delhi. I see. So, so um, before I come to the latest um, controversy that, uh, that, that you, know, you have uh, been a part of in the last couple of days, uh, I just want to quickly touch upon uh, one rank, one pension, OROP. Um, you, you think that's sorted, that's resolved? Because there is still conflicting news you get, you know, there's some people from the forces say it's The definition it's okay. of OROP as... Uh, uh, as was uh, decided by the Kushari Committee and which was accepted by the, by the Parliament. As per that definition, it has to be one rank, one pension in absolute terms and which also meant that the pension would be constantly revised. Right. I would say that uh, in uh, implementing this, the interpretation of the government has been slightly at variance to this. One is that they said that the revision uh, would be every two years or three years, I think that is what they have decided. And secondly, uh, that the, the army people, uh, the, rather the retired soldiers wanted that the highest uh, um, pension of that year as given to serving uh, soldiers should be applicable to them. Whereas the government decided that it will be the mean of the highest and the lowest would be taken. Uh, I think there were problems in in, to implement the original um, mandate of the Kushari Committee. And uh, however, this issue of revising it every two years, uh, uh, in my view, is what is the main grievance left of the ex-servicemen. And uh, though I, it, it could also have been done with computerization today, it's not a problem to do it every year. And why do you, why do you but, think but it was? One more, one more point. Uh, and that was that they have said it is not applicable to people who take premature retirement. I see. Uh, though, which is really not not uh, right in the sense that uh, uh, the pensionable service in the army is 20 years. 
So right. if a person does take retirement, uh, it is, it is, and it is approved by the government. Yes. So it is not that that it is at will that he can take it. The government can refuse his yes. uh, uh, premature retirement. So uh, to sum up, I would say that uh, about ninety-five uh, percent of the OROP uh, demand, or even or as per the Kushari committee, have been fulfilled. And only 0.5, I mean, only 5% is what is left uh, undone. I see. Now, coming to the latest little, what Twitter is famous for, the blowouts that happened. You tweeted uh, regarding the photograph of uh, young Kashmiri tied on a jeep being used as a shield, saying that this image is going to haunt the armed forces for a long time to come. And this other gentleman, aviator Chopra, in fact, I said it will forever haunt the Indian Army and the nation. Yes. So a lot of people who are extremely uh, nationalistic, but many who don't wear uniforms, uh, took great umbrage to that. Uh, so there are two parts to this. First, I want to uh, understand from you, why do you think uh, this will haunt the forces for a long time to come in India? And, and then I have two more follow-up questions. See, in democracy, the state has monopoly over violence. That means it's only the state, through its agencies, can use violence. Legally, yeah. And also, the state has to use minimal violence and has to use it legitimately. Only so long its legitimacy remains. If the state does not use violence legitimately, then it also gives the license to all and sundry to use violence as they deem fit. Whereas the Indian Army has, I would say, been successful in containing insurgencies, Where which had begun with Nagaland in Nagaland. 1956. The first Nagaland Accord, and largely insurgency in Nagaland has been contained. And it's only the runt of the resentment which, was, which is still there. And uh, with the, probably the Naga Accord, the details of which are not known before. Mizoram is a success story. It was the insurgency was which began sometimes I think in uh, 1968, uh, 66. It was contained, and uh, thereafter the Mizo Accord was signed. And Mizo has Mizoram has probably one of the most stable governments uh, that we have in the country today. Hmm. Uh, Manipur, of course, is has been contained. I mean, the level of violence is very low, and the governments are able to function. But I would say the insurgency as such is con has been contained, not finished. Militarily, no insurgency can be finished. I'll come to that part subsequently when we discuss it. But why has the Indian Army been successful? Even in Kashmir, we have contained the insurgency. Right. It is because Indian Army has always fought by the rules. The rule of the... First, is the, it has upheld the law of the land. And it has also upheld the international humanitarian law in and that has also been up, upheld so uh, i have never seen or heard uh, unlawful command being given to any soldier of the indian army aberrations have been there allegations have been there but they have been dealt with in jammu and kashmir alone i think we have carried out 150 court martials of uh, officers and soldiers who had and there are uh, many cases that who, had, even who, had, who had done wrong how does this image change any of that uh, see uh, when you are dealing with an insurgency you are dealing with a civilian population and uh, Supreme Court has also uh, held and plus it is also the army's own belief and the chief of army staff's commandments which he has given to all people operating in insurgency environment these are rules you must follow and other rules and regulations of the army clearly lay down that there should be no human right violations of as far as the civilians are concerned it's a taboo and you can be punished for that as per law secondly even a cursory understanding of the geneva conventions the fourth convention equally applies in internal conflicts, and then what is this called the uh, what what is called what is called what is known as uh, common international laws that which 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 are uh, which are acceptable and everybody has to adhere to them, whether or not they have signed it. 
and this is this is been decided by the United Nations. That also applies. Now the fourth convention clearly lays down that non-combatants must not be confined, they must not be harmed, they must not be humiliated, they must not be taken hostage. And this is the classic example of a non-combatant who has been tied on the bonnet of a jeep. He has, firstly, he, you, have, you have arrested him, caught him, then you have confined him, and then you have uh, tied him, you have humiliated him, then you have paraded him, and whatever has emerged of the story, you have also used him as a human shield. Okay. The human shield is a loose word. It has not been defined as such uh, in, 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 the, in the international humanitarian law or within our own um, um, IPC. Uh, but uh, uh, it is understood that it, it relates to holding hostage, confinement, and causing yeah, bodily I, harm. I, 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 I remember the LTTE was severely criticized for it in, in Sri Lanka because... No, no, they I just before that. Hmm. You, I have not answered the last part of your question. That right. is the defining image. So in every insurgency, there is some image that catches your imagination. Uh, you take the case of the, the child washed onto the beach during the huge uh, yes, crisis in, in Europe. Yeah. This led to whole of Europe agreeing to take in refugees. They were the defining images of the Vietnam War. One was of a Nepal attack and children running on the yeah. road and one of the girls is stark naked. Yeah, She's a young girl. The clothes young girl, burnt clothes off. Part, clothes and burnt off. Second was the chief, the commissioner of police of Vietnam of Saigon holding the pistol to the head of a Viet Cong yes. and about to shoot him dead. Right. And the actual photographs available with the Life magazine were that first he points and then he shoots, then he drops. Yes. Mind you, in all those cases, the American army defended the actions. Even at Mailai, the biggest massacre that took place, the, I don't remember the count now, I think five to 600 uh, people of one village were killed. Uh, it was, it was uh, initially army defended it, but subsequently the public pressure forced the court martial of the officer and though he was later on pardoned, if you please. So that it was there, yet these images left a, a, a kind of impact on the, on the, uh, on the American public. And they, they determined and that, the direction. That led, to, that led to America pulling out of, uh, out, out of Vietnam. Now similarly, this image, has, is a, what should I say, is a defining image. It will, it not only pricks the conscience of all the soldiers who have served in the Indian Army, it should prick the conscience of every Indian as well. And I feel that it will put this insurgency at the center stage of international consciousness as well. Okay, um, now, Operationally speaking, uh, I don't know how credible this information is, but what I have been, what I have read is that um, why this young man was tied there was that there were about 17 army personnel that had to, you know, leave a confined area and there was a mob of 900 waiting and the only way that they could leave without killing any of those 900 and opening fire was this. It was Again, I, I'm not sure how credible this is, but this is a account that has come out of people who claim were there on the ground. Uh, and the you know commanding officer had this novel idea of tying them up. They said, no blood will be shed, no one will be harmed, and all of us will go out. Is that quick thinking on one's feet? Uh, let's say this photograph had not been clicked, and he had managed to do what I just said. Uh, would that be acceptable to you as a military man? Let me put it this way. If this information had reached me with or without a video or a photograph, I as GOCNC Northern Command would be a very worried man. Worried because it sullies the image of my army. It gives credence to kind of tactics which the Indian Army has never used. In the past, allegations have been there, right and wrong, maybe. One doesn't know, because they were never substantiated. In fact, that, if that, I may that, cut in, that, the IPKF... That, that, that the human, shields, human shields have been used. In fact, 
as recently as two days back, uh, Mr. Matu, I think he belongs to uh, the National Conference, hmm. a young uh, politician, and he said on, uh, I think, um, one of the television uh, channels that at the age of six, he was used as a human shield when a coordinate search operation was going on. So there have been allegations before, but they have never been substantiated. And to the best of my knowledge, no allegation of any use of human shield has ever been substantiated. And so far, we have not, Indian Army, despite the 150 court martials carried out for HR violations, we have not punished anybody for, being, for using human shields. It's against the Army's rules and regulations, and it's against the, the law of the land which we are supposed to follow. Though we are covered under Armed Forces Special Powers Act, but we are still supposed to follow the law of the land. Sure. Right. Let us go by the fact that what the version that you are giving me. Firstly, so far the Army has not given its official version. Right. In any manner. They have said that they'll investigate the matter. The police has lodged an FIR and where it is confinement, holding hostage, etc and words have been used. I do not know what specific charges have been made as yet. Let me go by both, both, the, both the incidents, that how they could have taken place. One is the version given by the officer, Major Gugai, allegedly, that that's what the press has said, or what the press has speak together, or what they have heard. And uh, second is, uh, the other version of the of the local people who have and, given a, given and, a totally totally and, different and version. And the guy who was standing. And all that we have is the video clip. Let us go by the first version. The first version is that uh, there was uh, uh, elections were and being held, and one of the pub, one of the booths there was a um, election party, which included some policemen, some CRPF personnel, and some civilian government officials, which were which were holed up in a room surrounded by a mob of 900. And they sent an SOS to a army, this thing, and a QRT led by an officer came towards them. A QRT being? A QRT? Quick, quick reaction team. Quick reaction team. And then the officer uh, to, uh, to save uh, the, I mean, uh, to save the situation and to take these people away, he thought of that, it'll, instead of firing upon the crowd, uh, I should uh, hold one person hostage and put him this thing. I mean, right. he came up with this novel tactics, which are against the law. And he felt it just was justified by the circumstances. And this person was then uh, taken away. And so that is how this is what has been. And this version appeared, I think, sometimes on the 14th evening or 15th. Right. That is almost uh, five to six days after the event. If uh, this incident had taken place, it's a very unusual incident. I'm sure this officer would have informed his superiors. And in no time, this information would have reached the divisional commander, the corps commander, and the army commander. Is that how it works? Something like it is, it is. This incident is very unusual if it had taken place where an officer has used such novel tactics such unusual measures to effect the crowd to be saved, its information would have reached the army commander. Okay. And it would have reached the army commander within a matter of one or two hours. That's the way the insurgency is fought by the Indian army in Jammu and Kashmir. And if I was the army commander, and I had heard that this incident has taken place in this manner, then I would have immediately directed my staff to give the following statement, in which I would have narrated the circumstances of the incident, that this is what of the incident. The officer on the spot has exercised his discretion in using this method. This method is wrong as per law. This method is not as per the rules and regulations of the Indian Army. This is an exceptional method which has been used to save uh, um, lives. You know, the lives. And Indian Army doesn't follow these tactics, and this method will not be repeated by us so uh, as, as, a, a, as a routine. A proactive statement. So I, would have, that I would have so more to given a statement on the 9th itself, because this is, a, this is a benchmark event. Nothing like this has ever happened before. Okay. And so it is not something that it just, it just happened as a matter of routine so that 
it can come. So as this is what I would have done as an army commander. This sort of a thing has not been done. It's only when the video was all over the place that... So then it looks like damage control. Wait a second. This, it came as damage control. Now coming to the other version and the loopholes that are there in this version. The other version is that he was just caught and this thing. And by, by default, it appears that the version is that an officer or a authority at the lower level decided to teach a lesson to, in general to the, uh, to the stone, pelters. stone pelters. And he caught hold of a person who he thought he was a stone pelter and put him on the jeep and paraded him in six, seven villages. And not only paraded him, also um, uh, on the loudspeaker, warnings were issued that this is what will happen to all such um, stone pelters in future, as a warning. Now, so uh, this, is, this, is the, this, is the, this is the civilian's version of it. And this is what is also, another, I mean, the second version of the whole incident. Now relate the two incidents. In the video, no crowds are seen anywhere. Hmm. The crowd of seven to nine hundred is not seen anywhere. In fact, if at all, you see generally uh, the vehicles passing by and yeah. people watching. <clears throat> right. There is also a photograph of which has come out in one in one place where, with this fellow tied up, there's one soldier standing next to uh, the vehicle in front, as if posing for a shot. And even to further loopholes in the of version that is floating around is that here the, the crowd has surrounded the room where these hostages are. The QRT comes, it passes through the 900 crowd of 900 of stone pelters, and somebody said they are, they are, no, you are using boulders, not only stones. Right. And no casualties, no firing takes place. Picks one up, and ties he it, picks, then moves back. Then suddenly one guy is picked up out of the blue, and the crowd doesn't resist such a violent crowd. He's tied enough time to tie him to a vehicle and start and then use loud hailers to, to announce the message. So far too many loopholes. Okay. Which points out that it seems to be a standalone action at the lower level done by an enthusiasm due to ignorance at the lower level hmm. to teach a lesson to the stone pelters. And even if, even if I go by the second version, it required an immediate clarification from the army, which would have said that the matter is under investigation. And it would not have this is, this is forbidden, and such a thing is never allowed. We'll see what is what is to be done. It, it, and it would not have looked like damage control. Fine, agreed. Now, I, now I just want to come to the pushback that you got on Twitter. The, the two questions I have. The first one, you could just give me a brief answer. One was, you know, two former military men uh, who disagree on something, uh, going at each other, and I've seen that. Is it just because Twitter is a new medium and it's visual, so people think, oh, you know, the environment is such that, you know, military personnel or retired, you know, comrades in arms now are going at each other? Or it was always the case, it's just that it wasn't on social media? Or has there been a change in how the forces conduct themselves? I think, uh, firstly, let's understand that uh uh, let me first clarify that I have been on Twitter for the last uh, eight years. And once you are on Twitter and once you say something, then obviously, since it's a free medium, there are no rules, there are no regulations, then the view also has to be accepted. And so Twitter is a place where everybody or people of all hues are present. So same way on the social media, so if I write something on a matter of military, another soldier is well within his right to contest me if he so feels, feels that way. But all that I would like to point out is that in the, there is also uh, over a period of time, the social media also has got divided and opinionated in the various uh, pressure groups that have formed, uh, whether they are political. So all the political parties have got uh, sure. kind of uh, social media armies. Then the, the other, uh, you know, uh, players like um, religious players, hmm. uh, religious, uh, religious organizations, uh, various uh, paramilitary organizations created by religious bodies. Hmm. Uh, then, uh, if nothing else, the extreme left, the center, and the extreme right, the liberals. 
Right. So the various groups have got pressure groups. So when such a thing comes up, now in this particular instance, this was a this is the emotional subject. It has become in India because of the fillip that we have given to nationalism over a period of time uh, in our country, and it's not something that is peculiar to this government. It has been there on. It's been going on for quite some time, mm. right? And as a result, uh, and nationalism I, is distinct from uh, from patriotism. We are all patriotic, but not necessarily. We are not into extreme nationalism. Sure. Where where the Indian Army, the government, the institutions, everything is linked to linked to the nation. Sure. And anything anybody who poses that is considered an anti-national. Anti-national. Sure. And when and Indian Army certainly over a period of time has put center stage of all this. Right. That it has become part of our nationalism. In fact, which you don't you don't think that's a in my opinion, it is the biggest harm you can do to an army. Because like all organizations, Indian Army also requires reforms right. for its betterment. Right. You can't uh, continue uh, functioning uh, in, 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 a, in a previous era. The armies need you know, new equipment, new doctrines, changes in how they approach things new and everything. Sure. So when you put them on a pedestal and, organize, uh, and hierarchical organizations are reluctant to reform, anybody who even suggests reform, then a legitimate criticism of the army for its inefficiency. And I have been facing the ire of, of uh, the nationalists, of right wing, uh, and also my former colleagues, for making suggestions to bring about reform. Even if you're in the uniform, that doesn't insulate you from being considered it an anti-national. It doesn't. And so the, it's Does, a, do you feel bad about it? On the social it? media. Hmm. On the, I don't feel bad about it because I'm on social media. Sure. That, otherwise, I shouldn't be on social media. Fair enough. In that case, I should uh, I should write a long winding papers and give it to all and sundry. But I feel that by putting on social media, I'm also doing human service to the nation, to the to the to the organization, and drawing everyone's attention to to what is wrong, so that we can improve. And this tweet of mine was a deliberate decision taken by me, because I felt something very wrong had taken place. Okay. And which which will sully the image of the Indian Army forever, and that's why I went on and tweeted that. And so, if I invited Flack, as I said, I've already highlighted the reasons why I invited Flack. Fair enough. Now, I get that you say that being apolitical once you are retired is actually there's nothing sensible about it. The world over, take people take political position and it's healthy, and yeah, I agree. So, relationships between Political parties and the armed forces will be, while uh, you know, they will be um, happy and friendly and at the same time combative depending on where you are on the political spectrum. But the police and the army, I want to just, you know, in the end talk a little bit about that. I have read uh, and I also have spoken with some people who have served in Punjab. During that time, the relationship between the police and the army was terrible. The army did not trust the intelligence that they got from the police because they thought they were all compromised. Um, it has been in, in uh, Operation Blue Star, the book, by the general who headed that. He has said as much that, you know, uh, Mark Tully has said that in his book. In Kashmir, and, and in your experience in the army, what is the relationship like and what can it ever be ideal? Because see, the police is from there, right? In Kashmir, all the police officers are from those very places, you know, where they have to do... The IPS officers are from everywhere. Yeah, but the guys... Uh, but, uh, are the, 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 the rank and file and the, the state cadre officers are from, from, are from, from there. there. Whereas the army who's on the ground are not from there. You know... The, that, no, the, some, are, some people are there. The Jammu and Kashmir uh, uh, rifles, they, they belong to that place and so do, so do uh, Jammu and Kashmir regiment people belong to that place. And some of the territorial army units belong to that Some of them, so but, they, they, but there are a lot who by don't. And large, by and large, no. But a lot who don't. Yeah. What is the relationship like in Kashmir between the army and the police? Is it as bad as it was in Punjab, if I were to go by what I've read? Or is it better? And what can be done to make it better? Because now the police filing an FIR against the army kind of complicates matters. First of all, how will that play out? Yeah. Firstly, let me... Uh, even in Punjab, the relationship was not that bad. 
When we say that the police is uh, compromised, corrupt, politicized, it's a, it's, a, it's a fact. It's a fact and it applies to the police all over India. Not only in Punjab or in an in insurgency environment, it plays out a little more. And uh, army learns how to manage it and we learn how to be this thing. We also know that there are very well-meaning IPS officers and uh, Mr. KPS Gill, notwithstanding the kind of methods he used on which one may have very serious reservations. Uh, but uh, he uh, reorganized the Punjab police. Army slowly pulled away to the background and uh, assisted them from the, as they reserve and from the, from the backdrop. And uh, the insurgency campaign was eventually led by the Punjab police. And uh, as I said, notwithstanding my reservations on the methodology, it was eminently successful. And now coming to Jammu and Kashmir, let me first give you a surprise. I think Jammu and Kashmir police is the most effective counterinsurgency force after the Indian Army in India. Despite all the problems, Jammu and Kashmir police has not been compromised. It has never rebelled, except an odd case here and there, where a constable went away, ran with a weapon, and in the initial stages also, there were little more, but even now it happens. By and large, the police has remained loyal. They are, uh, they are under pressure now, a little from the population. Because, because they live people, people visiting there. Now, it has never been before, it's now. Now a little more than before. Even earlier it was there, but nobody ever targeted them. Uh, we have got excellent relations with the police. And especially, it becomes even better under the president's rule. Even under when the democratic governments are there, elected governments, the relationship remains generally good. Now, um, our best source of information in Jammu and Kashmir will be local is police. the Thanedar. Sure. Is the sub-inspector of SHO of the police. He knows everything and we get our best information from Jammu and Kashmir police. Of course, the IB also gives us information. We have our own sources, but it's the mainstay is Jammu and Kashmir police. The relationship has been very good. What happens is that when there's a democratic government in power, there's a home minister. There, the, 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 the government has to play to the, to the public sentiment, public demand. Now, in all cases where human rights violations take place, it is for the, for the state government to investigate the matter. So it lodges an FIR. I think lodging of an FIR in this case is absolutely legitimate. And uh, so the FIR is lodged in, in all such cases. And it has been lodged in this. It was lodged in the Machil case. It has been lodged in, in, uh, in, um, in the Patribal case, which, is, which are very famous cases. Um, so the, the uh, FIR is lodged. The case is filed. The moment the case is filed, there is, uh, as per law, there is a joint jurisdiction in which the state can also try it. And the army and can, we also can also try it. We normally will go and, uh, after the charge is filed, that this sort of a thing has happened, that person A or person B is charged with this. We, we say we want to take over the case and we will try this man. Within the armed forces. Yeah, we'll try this man. And uh, generally, if we take up a case, if it's a clear-cut case, we straight away take, him, take over the case and we court-martial. Uh, the person can. That's how all these 150 cases have been court-martialed. First FIRs were generally filed Civil. by the police. In some cases, Suomoto also, we did that. Sure. Okay. So this is what generally happened. But at times, the civil police may, because of public sentiments, because the government of the day, may say, no, we want to proceed with the case. Then we may also say that uh, we, may, we, may, uh, we may invoke the Armed Forces Special Powers Act, which gives us impunity. Immunity. And especially in cases where we feel that the, it's a frame-up. And uh, in that case, the case continues, and we, we continue invoking the Armed Forces Special Powers Act up the chain, up to the High Court. And the state government has to, in fact, apply to the central government for prosecution. And within the Armed Forces Special Powers Act, the permission to, for prosecution can be given by the central government. It is, it is its right. It can give it. But let me tell you, right since 1956, Never once has the central government ever given permission for prosecution to be carried out. 
And this also flies in the face of politicians who say that the army is responsible for continuing with the Armed Forces Special Powers Act. When the central government has shied away, not even against anyone ever has sanction been given for the prosecution to take place. Okay, thank you. I've, you know, we've discussed most of the things that I wanted to. I had one more question before we wind up. Um, like you said, there is no reason to be timid or shy of having political positions once, only after retirement, you know, not before that. Do you have any intention of joining politics? Or I have, uh, okay, let me be very candid. I am an ordinary member of the Ahmadmi Party. Okay. And I have been so since uh, beginning of uh, 2014. I am not, a, I am not <laughs> active in politics. I don't actively campaign for them. My daughter stood for elections from uh, Chandigarh. I did assist her in organizing her campaign. I do not meet Ahmadmi Party politicians. I do not take any cue from them in any manner. And I don't advise them. And I, uh, I have, uh, by conscious uh, respect for the Aam Army Party's uh, grassroots governance model, that's why I'm a supporter. But, but why are you reluctant to join active politics full time? Uh, the, the reason is that uh, uh, I, I would say that temperamentally, uh, <laughs> and uh, we are not suited uh, for. Uh, uh, I, I'm not suited for politics. I have I have done very little grassroots work. It's very difficult to start from scratch and now then build up everything. And not unless you have a big, big party back here. Yeah. Or you make a parachute entry into a, into a party. Right. And uh, uh, so you make a parachute entry and the party takes you up and you say because of your status and position and or you ride the party. So you have not actually made it on your own. You have ridden the party. Subsequently, you may blossom as a politician. You know, as a former army man who has seen the army in all its hues and colors. We've done a podcast on Kashmir, by the way, uh, for those of you who may want to listen to it. It's a, it's a detailed podcast. And I have spoken to people who have served in Kashmir and who have said that when we had initially gone in, in the 80s and 90s, we were not trained to fight our own people. We were trained to fight enemies. So the excesses took place. And the generation that saw us doing what we did then now will not trust us. Do you think there is any reasonable resolution to Kashmir within our lifetimes? Uh, firstly, I, I don't think the, whatever you heard is really not correct. I think the army, uh, right from our involvement in 1956 in uh, uh, Nagaland and uh, Northeast and there are subsequently Kashmir and Punjab and plus uh, the military education system gives us adequate knowledge about what goes on and how we are supposed to conduct ourselves in an insurgency campaign. Okay. And uh, right from the time I was in the military academy, the uh, Vietnam War was just beginning. I joined the military academy in 1964. I was well aware of how insurgencies are fought. Okay. So there's no issues. Okay. We knew exactly what is to be done. What happens in the initial stages, as you go there, situation is very bad. Generally, the president rule has been invoked. The police is, becomes ineffective. The state government becomes ineffective, and local the, courts become ineffective. The politicians are nowhere to be seen. Uh, the central government, in fact, rarely gives any military direction. I told you that we have never defined the military and state. Our military involvement is carrying on in perpetuity. Right. Okay? So now, what happens? The army takes upon itself that okay, we have to sort these things out. We have to sort out this mess created by the politician. That's the way the term that we use in the army. That we sort out the mess created by the politician. And a lot of us in our zeal and enthusiasm, we say, okay, let's sort this out once and for all. You know, these guys are insurgents, they have terrorists, they have risen up against the state. That's the time high-handedness does take place. Okay. Never by an order, never by a policy but by enthusiasm yeah, at the yeah. grassroots and by some commanders. Yeah, I'm not saying uh, it's so they, a, a thought saying, through, but it I'm, happens. But they, it, it happens. Yes. Now, at that time, everybody overlooks it, right? The state government, the governor, he generally doesn't see anything in such matter at that time. The uh, police is ineffective, and plus it also quite happily cooperates 
it doesn't file FIRs and it's or you've linked to will be, will may file fake FIRs. So whatever upholds human rights at that time is the army's ethos. And our army's ethos is good. Even in the 92-95 phase, hmm. lot of court martial did take place. On, sure, on, uh, have, uh, no, what I'm perhaps. saying. So now what happens is, so we, but after that, once the situation stabilizes, once the government institutions come back, which they came back in JNK, 1996 elections, Mr. Farooq came back to power, sure. I think, if I'm not wrong, and uh, uh, everything stabilizes. So everything becomes normal. The people of Kashmir at that time, it is not that they remember any, anything. I don't think that the, the abuse was ever so widespread that uh, we, we, are, we were hated. Then what no. explains what, all these what teenagers? What happens is that as you, you do not define an end state for the military aspect of the problem. There are two aspects, the military aspect, critical aspect. Uh, both the terrorists and the state, they target, want to, politically, their aim is to target the population. The sure. population must be with them. Uh, because population is initially neutral. It's neither with them. It wants stability. They want to educate their children, go to schools, colleges, and everything. Well, in Kashmir, right. it's never been neutral. No, no, you know? no, 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 no. Every, please, no. I think the populations, by and large, you may, you may, I mean, it's like this, that the, 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 there are people in Punjab who still believe in Khalistan. But while it, they, they may believe in Khalistan, but for them, stability is also equally important. They have children, I mean, you're not so committed to the cause that you'll give up everything. So public, by and large, masses want stability. Okay. So this, so both the state and the terrorists target them. No, then there's the military strategy. Military strategy is very simple. Finish off the terrorists so that the state governments are allowed to. You know, the, the, the democratic government comes into play. For the terrorists, again, very simple. The people must side with us and hate the state. The irony is that we have won the military battle. And lost the political battle. And lost or losing the political battle. The terrorists have lost the military battle and are almost winning the political battle. And that's because we allowed a vacuum to be created. We did not, we only saw the route that, as route by, we thought elections are an end by themselves. High voter turnout of 64% in 2014, is, that's, that itself shows we are a democratic country, people are with us. The, we relied upon the local political dispensations, the same kind of politicians. But one, they could not perform. Even the present coalition has performance has been below expectations. Hmm. It has, people have resented because here's a coalition that came uh, hating each other and now they are together. And such a low and political turnout. They also feel that, that since it's the same politician, political system, the same bureaucracy, that governance hasn't improved. So the, another way which population become happy is governance, it hasn't improved. And also the population feels that these state governments are merely puppets, the main power is with the center, center hasn't intervened. So you have created a vacuum and this vacuum is continuous. There was an effort by Mr. Bajpai in 2003. There was a phenomenal effort made also by Mr. Manmohan Singh, the round table conferences and the working groups established. So what, see the result, 2013 to 2003 to 2013, a decade of peace, relative peace, where everything was, militancy was under control on the decline by the day. Sure. And now we left the political vacuum, we did not address the situation. Now coming back to the last part of your question, is there still a way forward? Will it, will it be resolved in our lifetime? In my view, it is possible to resolve it in our lifetime and resolve it very fast. Military battle has been won. Let there be no doubts about it. And I would say it, I say it with the full authority of my experience, um, you know, as an army man, as well as having been GOCNC Northern Command. The military battle has been won. There are very limited number of terrorists left. It's only because of the coverage when I was army commander, in 14 months, we killed 800 terrorists. There was three to four encounters taking place every night. Such was the level of insurgency, though it was declining. From 2003, when 2,000 terrorists were killed in one year, and we had 500 casualties. In our time, it got reduced. We came down to almost uh, double digits in, in 2013, 14. There's a little rise, it's not alarming. 
the Pakistani terrorists for the first time are less and the domestic terrorists have increased. The, count, the counter-infiltration grid is effective but can be more effective. And so the military part needs only consolidation, make the counter-infiltration grid more effective. We are a manpower intensive uh, uh, organization, uh, country rather. We, we have at the moment got roughly 60,000 troops looking at the counter-infiltration grid. Why I'm talking there, there are about, you know, four divisions looking after the counter-infiltration. Uh, we can increase the number by 30, 40,000. Or we can relocate the forces from the hinterland to there. Plug the gaps. We can totally stop it. The runt of the terrorists, which is very limited, they can a quick surgical operations launched over a period of the next four to five months can further reduce all this and with total involvement of the army and the police. Simultaneously, a political initiative. Now, what is the political initiative that can sort these matters out? Firstly, Pakistan should not be considered a stakeholder for this. It's sure. the biggest folly to involve Pakistan in Jammu and Kashmir. We, hmm. should, we should only talk to them about the POK and Baltistan. And nothing else. Anybody who wants to work outside the constitution should not be spoken to. That should be the fundamental. And if there's a, there's a person who, who are against and who are involved in tradition, as interpreted by the Supreme Court, okay. please put them behind bars and persecute them. No need to look after them through the Inter uh, Intelligence Bureau, looking after their welfare, giving their children um, uh, administration, looking after their... You're talking about people from the Hurriyat. Looking after them, looking after their well-being and care and health. So you're talking about the Hurriyat okay. types. Right, stop that. Okay. If there are no leaders to talk to, just talk to student leaders. Start talking to the people from the grassroots. Right? Let the inter... Along with the intervention must come from the very top. By very and top, very mean top the means prime minister. Means the prime minister or a person working on his behalf. Okay. This present government has run its course in terms of its whatever it could do. It may be prudent to adopt opt for uh, presidential rule under a very seasoned uh, governor. Governor who may be political or who may be a political, you know, a very seasoned person who can assist in this process. With the intervention, in 2003, situation was at its worst. Jamuriyat, Insaniyat, Kashmiriyat, and to which Mr. Modi has added Bharatiyata, Bharatiyat. It just changed the value overnight, followed up by Manmohan. He, he continued with that ceasefire, followed up by Manmohan Singh and values for relative peace. Our Prime Minister enjoys, uh, and I have been one of his vocal critics, you know, he enjoys uh, authority, he enjoys popularity, he enjoys a mandate which no other Prime Minister of this country has had. Hmm. He intervenes, the situation will dramatically change overnight in Jammu and Kashmir. And last but not the least, I think coupled with this, the bureaucracy of Jammu and Kashmir and the police, which I'm not talking of the rank and file of the police, I'm talking of the, uh, the, the, the police, uh, the IPS cadre. I think there is a requirement to carry out a radical change and we must totally bring in new cadres uh, and, and transplant them in Jammu and Kashmir and the best that India can find. The best that India can find. And we can create a new organization if required. We, 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 we can even involve army officers serving or retired. And who can be part of, after all, army is very seasoned. Don't shy away from not keeping the army out of this because army has been involved there and they know the grass, grass roots. Hmm. So involve them, right? They can, and let administration the administration of Jammu and Kashmir with a determined governor and a determined bureaucracy can be altered in six months. And use the might of India, economic might of India, and the corporate world. To make it attractive is, to stay. What is money? What is money to, to save the idea of India? And last but not the least, autonomy. 
if people are clamoring for azadi if this somebody wants to join pakistan these are all romantic ideas or even pan islamism ummah romantic ideas they, they everybody knows they're not possible nothing is possible right. stable countries with nuclear weapons stable armed forces do not allow change of their borders and there's no way kashmir can go away from india but are you looking at the territory are you looking at the people territory and the people sure what is territory without a soul of the people so you so win over if autonomy can assuage the feelings what is autonomy within the constitution if the reports about the nagaland accord are to be believed and leaked by none other than the negotiators of from the naga side that uh, sky the ha- has been promised to them we have been given um, uh, we'll have our flag we'll have this we'll have that and nobody has denied it a certain level of autonomy can be replicated nobody. at the same time why not the same thing to the kashmiris or restore what autonomy they had 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 earlier is autonomy a big price to be paid for this i mean can a nuclear weapon state lose its territory ever why are we have so afraid that if we give autonomy that somebody may just walk away from you <laughs> i mean so it is and when we say sky is the limit under the constitution for heaven's sake define the sky don't leave it uh, vague one one day you cannot uh, say sky is the limit and next day talk of abrogation of uh, of article 370 so i think there is nothing that cannot be changed and i feel that it's a uh, a crisis is the best time to intervene well There's maybe no point intervening well, well maybe we're getting there because this is as close to a crisis as we have seen in kashmir in a long time i uh, thank you for your time really appreciate you coming here and talking to us pleasure meeting you Thank you. All the news laundry podcasts are available on Stitcher, iTunes and any other podcast platform. Please subscribe to News Laundry. Help us keep news independent. To catch all our podcasts on news, pop culture, current affairs and sport, visit newslaundry.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram and subscribe to our YouTube channel.